It is such a privilege for us to be here. And uh, my wife, Sherry, she sends her love to y'all. She's watching online in Kansas City. Hi, baby. And she would be here, but uh, she just couldn't make it this time. And also, five years ago, I was here uh, on Father's Day. How many of you were here for that event? Quite a few of you were. And I was here with my daughter, Jessica, and she sends her love to you all. I know that one of the questions we get asked all the time, for those of you that don't know the story, in 2011, we got to, as a family, got to meet my daughter, Jessica, for the first time when she was 38 years old. And uh, I'm going to have to quit telling her age, you know, I know, but, but uh, we, we came and we told that story. And uh, we have a DVD that Jessica and I did that's out on the table called The Little Girl Wins. And it's such an exceptional story. And the coolest part about it is that she became part of our family. And if, and if you ask her to describe what our relationship was like, she says to me, she goes, Daddy, it's just like you were always here. And that's the way it is. It's such a remarkable event. But anyway, I know some of you have asked, you know, how's it going with your daughter? It's like, man, it's great. She texted me just a few minutes ago and wanted me to tell you how much she loves and appreciates you in this church. She was here with Sherry for the women's conference last year, and uh, we're just blessed. So anyway, aren't you glad that God is the God that takes those that are orphaned and puts them in families? That none of us have to feel that we are left out of this great, great family that we're a part of. And you know, the, one of the greatest things that helped me understand how to read the Bible was, there were two things really. Number one was when I discovered that the Bible has a consistent theme from start to finish. And that theme is God's desire to be a father with a family. And throughout the entire Bible, you see God protecting, keeping, loving, making a way for the family. In fact, I look at it like this. He is always the God who comes for us. We don't go to God. He comes for us. When man fell, he came for us. Jesus came. God is in him reconciling the world to himself. He's coming for us. And he continues to come for us, even in our brokenness. I've chosen 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 29 to be my text today. And I'm just going to read it real quick, and then I'm going to tell some stories, and then we're going to go eat lunch. Everybody say amen to lunch. Come on now. 1 Corinthians 1, 25. It says this. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, he chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing those the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. What an encouraging passage of Scripture because it reminds us that God is looking for those who aren't wise. 
for those who aren't powerful, for those who aren't wealthy, for those who are considered to be foolish, for those considered powerless, for those who are despised, and those who are counted as nothing at all. And you and I, when we look at that list, it's like someplace in there, we find ourselves. We find ourselves broken, hurt, addicted, divorced, abandoned, left without, alone, but then Jesus steps into our story. And that's the most incredible part. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Romans 5.8 is my favorite passage of scripture. And it reads like this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. On our very worst day, if you think back about the day that you were the most ugly, the day that you were the most sinful, the day that you were the absolute worst, your worst day, Jesus steps up and steps into your world and says, I want you, I came for you, and I'll take you just like that. That opens my heart to say, I can come to Jesus, and I don't have to be afraid of anything that he's going to do for me or to me. Because, you know, one of the great lies that has been told to the world is that God is the source of our pain. You know, we have active gods when devastation hits our planet. And nothing could be further from the truth because God is not the source of our pain. He's the reliever of our pain. When it came time for there to be a solution for all that was wrong for mankind, Jesus came for us. And in him we find the restoration of all things. And God has always only asked us as mankind to do one thing, just one thing. It's not be good enough. It's not be clean enough. It's not do good works. It's not any of those things. He just simply asked for our trust. That's all he's ever asked for because really when it breaks down, trust is faith and faith pleases God. And all God is asking from you and I in every broken part of our lives is, will you trust what Jesus did for you in this area? Will you allow his power to overcome this in your life? Because after all, on our own, we can't overcome anything because we couldn't overcome and correct our situation, but we get trapped into this mindset that says, if I'm only good enough, if I only change this area of my life, if I only do this, but it doesn't work that way. It has to be 100% completely Jesus. Nothing else added to it. Only Him. And that makes His story so wild and so crazy that God chose these foolish things in order to bring life to a dead soul, health to a diseased body, healing to a broken relationship. It's so incredible. And you know, when we look around at each other, we can't really judge each other because none of us are qualified for any of this. Jesus qualified us for all of it. And we simply get to put our trust in him and watch. That's right. And watch 
his crazy power go to work in our lives. It's so incredible. I love telling stories. Uh, at, at my core, that's really all I am as a songwriter, as a preacher. I'm just a storyteller. I want to tell you a couple of stories now. I was invited a few years back. Sherry and I were. She didn't go on this trip, but we were invited to be part of a national prison ministry. And Pastor Kevin mentioned that we do some prison ministry because I feel that it's important for us as individuals to go to those who can't give us anything. They don't have any means to give us an offering or buy a CD or do anything like that. They just need Jesus. And Jesus encouraged us. He said, when you visit them, you visited me. But I was asked to be part of a national prison crusade in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, in the UP. I love it up there. And, uh, and when we went, I got, went to check into my hotel, and one of the staff members of the organization we were working with came to me and said, Jimmy, we've had some budget issues, so we're going to ask you to room with somebody else. And I'm like, <laughs> Really? They said, yeah, and I said, okay, I just have one rule. First of all, I'm not a good roomie. I'm not, I'm not a good roomie, all right? But I just have one rule. If that dude snores, there ain't nobody sleeping because I'm waking him up. I'm not laying there all night and listening to some man snore. So I went to my room, and I checked in, and I met my roommate, who just happened to be a convicted double murderer. So I said, if that dude wants to snore, I ain't waking him up, you know. He could, he could snore all he wants to. There was a guy named Frank Sherry, and Frank had taken a bunch of drugs one night and lost his mind and, and thought that his town had been invaded by aliens. The only weapon that he could find was a claw hammer, and he took to the street, and before they could subdue him, there were eight men down and two dead. And he woke up in a county jail, not really remembering what had happened, and while he was waiting to go to trial one day, the sheriff came in and said, Frank, you have a visitor. He said, who is it? He said, well, it's the widow of one of the men that you murdered. He, she wants to talk to you. And Frank came out and sat across the table from this obviously broken, damaged, grieving widow. And he sat down and she began to talk to him about her husband who he had killed. And she said, Frank, she said, my husband was a good man. He was a great husband. He was a great father. And Frank, my husband was a believer in Jesus. He was a Christian. She reached down beside her and pulled out an old worn out Bible and said, Frank, this is my husband's Bible. She laid it down on the table, slid it across to him and said, Frank, he read this Bible every day. And if you'll read this Bible, it'll change your life. And Frank accepted her gift, went back to his cell and began to read about this man, Jesus. In just a few days, Frank was born again. He'd asked Jesus to forgive him of his sin. He went to Bible school while he served his sentence in prison and got a degree in theology. When he got out of prison, he married a girl named Ruth. And Frank and Ruth and this widow would travel and talk to people like me and you about the reality of what it means to forgive. Now that's some crazy stuff. I don't know where in the world that widow found the strength, but you might be sitting here today and you have somebody in your life that you need to forgive. 
You might be sitting here today and there might be somebody in your life that you need to receive their forgiveness. And it's time today for you to do that. To forgive simply means to cut loose, to let go, to send away. And when we don't send those things away, we live our lives based in the filter of that offense for the rest of our life, that anger, that bitterness, that grief. Forgiveness is not about what happened in the offense. It's about what happens to us if we release or retain. John 20, 23 talks about that. One more story, and then I'll quit. There's a single mom, and she'd had a terrible life. She'd been abused and abandoned and left to raise a little boy by herself. And that's why I'm such a fan of single parents. If you're a single parent here today, as I said earlier, you're not insufficient. You're sufficient with God's help to do what you need to do to raise your kids. But she was in a grocery store shopping one day, and she saw a lady, or a lady from the church was in there and saw her. And she just, she went up to her and she said, you know, to the single mom, she said, you know, I've been thinking about you. And I'd just like to invite you to come to church with me and my family. And let me step out of the story here for a second and put on my evangelist hat. Did you know, statistically, that more people come to Jesus in America that way than any other way? Somebody invites somebody to come to church. Say it with me. Somebody invites somebody to come to church. It's like over 90%. But that same research survey went to church people and asked them, how many of you would invite somebody to come to church with you? 2%. So our culture says, we'd really like to see what you have going on, but we're really not interested in you joining us. Anyway, back to the story. So the single mom accepts this invitation and she comes to this church. And the minute she walks in the door, she feels something. She feels respected, she feels valued, she feels accepted, she feels loved, and it was magnetic. And she started coming to that church because of what she felt emotionally. One Sunday night, they were having church, and she was there with her little boy, and the pastor was closing the service, and he said, you know, if you're here and you need prayer, I want you to come forward. And she had all kinds of needs, but she had all kinds of shame. And she was paralyzed there in her seat. A few minutes into the prayer service, she felt a hand tugging on her pant leg. And it's her little boy. And she bends down to see what he wants. And she says, babe, what is it? What can I do for you? And he says, mama, we need prayer. And she says, I know we, baby, it's going to be okay. Jesus will take care of us. And it appeased him for a few minutes. But then she felt his hand on her pant leg again. And she bent down, and this time he was more determined. He said, but mom, mom, we need prayer. She said, okay, baby, give me your hand. Let's pray right here. And he said, no, mom, I want to go up there. She brought him forward, told the pastor it was the little boy that wanted prayer. The pastor got down on one knee and looked him straight in the eyes and said, son, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And he said, I want Jesus to bring my daddy home. And so they prayed. And their life continued to get worse and worse. 
But one Sunday night, she came to church with her little boy and her ex-husband. And there was an opportunity for people to believe on Jesus. And everyone in the church was shocked when the ex-husband said, I want to believe on Jesus. Their lives were transformed. Their marriage reconciled. More children added to the family. And it was all because somebody invited somebody to come to church. It was all because somebody looked past the wreckage of life, looked past the shame of their situation, looked into the heart and saw, as Jesus saw, and saw value in that life and spoke to it. That's the true prophetic edge in, in our world is that we have eyes that see good in people and we speak to that good. We edify that good. We magnify that good and touches their destiny and they spring to life. And you never know the destiny that's at stake. That story about that single mom, well, she, she's been watching online at Canyon, Kansas City. Her name's Sherry. And she's my wife. That ex-husband, that would be me. And that little boy, he's our son Jason, who lives in Dallas. Our family's future and history held in the balance of one housewife. You're going to leave here in a few minutes. You're going to go be with people, people that don't believe like you believe. Today's Pentecost Sunday, and we need to be those people that are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, temperance, self-control, those things just coming out of our lives, reaching into people's hearts, showing them something different than someone in the restaurant who didn't get their order exactly right, chewing them out. We can be those people.